Hey, let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. God, we just sang some big songs about how you've redeemed us and how death has been arrested and our life has begun. And I pray that this reality would not cause us to just sit in salvation, sit in justification, but that we would now respond. And, and we have one specific way this morning that we can respond. And you may be calling some in this room to foster this morning or support foster families, or, or many other ways. I pray, God, that you would do that. But for those that may be not called to that, would you keep us from guilt and shame uh, if we cannot do that at this time? Give us ways to serve back as a body. And I pray that the community at large would feel the presence of Providence Road because of what you have done in us through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So many years ago... I used to work out years and years and years ago. Towards the end of my college years, I could lift as much weight as I had ever been previously able to lift or will ever lift the rest of my life. I assure you of that. I was in peak shape, or so I thought. One weekend, I had gone down to Dallas with a friend of mine, and we were going to stay with his aunt and uncle for this event that we were going at, and she was pretty wealthy, and so she invited us. She had her own personal trainer. She invited us one morning to go and join her for a workout. So my buddy was always down for something fitness-related. I mean, he was super jacked and chiseled. He's like six foot three, you know, 20 or 30 pounds, just purely muscle, probably in his chest. Uh, he ran like a 4'5", 4'6", if you know that. He played college football. Think like Braden Ledeber, but with muscles. Do you know Braden? He gave announcements. He really does look like Brayden, but big. So anyways, so, so he talks me into going. He talks me into going with him because he's like, you know, super passionate guy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like so in shape. And I'm, I, was, I should have I just looked at him and thought, no, I'm not in shape. So we get there and we meet this personal trainer. And this dude's name is Nas. Like I should have known when I arrived it was going to go bad for me. His name was Nas. And so we... You know, we start talking to this guy, and, you know, he's super friendly, like, real likable, big smile. And I'm thinking, like, hey, if 40-something-year-old aunt can do it, I, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in shape. I, I can do this. And then the workout started, and it was bad, guys. So to put you in the era that we're working with here, CrossFit was not cool yet. But we're going from station to station with very little breaks. We're doing the supersets. Like we're, we're doing it all. And he starts yelling at me. He starts screaming. And he's smiling. So it's weird. I, I'm like, man, I don't know if I should be crying or if I should hug you right now. Like he, he, he knew I wasn't keeping up. And so he's like getting in my face, like, you know, pushing me. And I'm like, dude, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, why are you smiling also? Like, this is weird. So we end the morning with suicide sprints in the parking lot. You guys, if you know what suicides are, you know, you, you sprint to one line, you go back, you sprint farther, just a lot of sprints. And so I don't know if it was the workout itself or the Chinese restaurant next door, like the smell that was coming from it. I vomited everywhere. <laughs> like there, there were remnants of whatever I had the night before all over that parking lot. It was not my finest hour. When we fail to exercise certain parts of our body, and then we go exercise them, our body gets mad, doesn't it? The older you get, the more you realize 
your body does not like that. It's like it's saying, hey, I'm taking a nap. Would you please leave me alone? And that's what was happening to my body. Though I thought I was in good shape, I actually was not in good shape. And my body proved that to me. Now, I believe that the American church as a whole could do much better in regards to the way in which we serve vulnerable children in our communities. I do not believe that we should sit still, but that we should increase our activity. It's not going to be easy, and initially it's going to feel painful and especially sacrificial. But what I'm going to argue this morning is that it's the way of Jesus and calls for a response from us. So I'm going to start this morning with a few caveats. I feel like they're needed. This is not the only group of people that we should be concerned about as followers of Jesus. So this morning, as I stand up here and I make an emphasis for us serving the foster care community, vulnerable children and their families, I'm not saying don't care for everyone else. Please, guys, don't fill in the blanks there. Do you not care about the homeless or those in sex trafficking or refugees? Yes, 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 I do. We do. We should. That is not what I'm saying. If God, caveat number two, if God has given you a specific burden and concern for some of those other causes or groups of people, then go and serve them in the name of Jesus. Do not not serve them if you have a concern, a specific concern for them. Caveat number three, this isn't the only way to, be, to care for vulnerable children. We're going to lock, talk a lot about foster care, but that fails to mention our church's efforts in caring for the unborn. I don't know how many of you know, but I serve on the board of Eden Clinic, and to my knowledge, it's the only crisis pregnancy center here in Norman. And over the years, uh, we've given thousands and thousands of dollars as a church to this organization. I care, our elders care, and many of you care deeply for the unborn in our community. We're going to continue to serve this organization. We do a baby bottle drive every single year. Some of you are serving on their staff right now, and many others have served in the past. So this is not the only way to care for vulnerable children. Caveat number whatever we're on. God has given the leadership of Prov Road a specific burden for vulnerable children and families in our community to the point that we want to do something about it. And that's what this morning is going to be, to be about. That's what this boils down to. There are other worthy causes, and there are other people that are worth fighting for. But we want to recognize that we can't do it all. We're a small body. We're a small group of people, and we want to focus our efforts. And there are a few things that we're going to emphasize here. You hear a lot about church planning. You've heard a lot recently about global missions, and you're going to hear a lot more about vulnerable children and families moving forward. So this is how we want to focus our efforts. We want to be a church, and we want to be known as a church that sees the needs, the desperation, the pain, and the hurt of vulnerable children and families, and then does something about it. Okay, so let's jump in. So I'm going to ask some questions along the way. What does God say about children and vulnerable children? How does God feel about them? Why should I care? We're going to talk about the need. What is the need? Both throughout our state, specifically here in Cleveland County, and then what can I do? That's what the morning will look like. So let's start with Jesus. What is God's heart towards vulnerable children? Let's start with Jesus. And I want to start with how Jesus thought about children in general. So he was highly sought after. He was very busy in his travels, in his teachings, healing people. People always wanted to be around him. Now, I know what we tend to do when we're busy, the busier we get, and kids start tugging on our legs, or they come in. Not now, kids. 
right? Like we kind of, I, I got to do this, I got to send an email, son. This is very important, right? We, we push them to the side, but, but what did Jesus do? Let's look in Matthew 19. Children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray for them. And his disciples rebuked the people. How does Jesus respond? We're reading in Matthew, but Mark 10 tells us that Jesus was indignant. He was indignant at his disciples, and he said, Let them come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus welcomed children. Jesus told his disciples to emulate them. One chapter before in Matthew 18, the disciples came to him, and of course they said, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Of course they asked that, right? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them, and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So children were not only not a burden to him, but he's telling his disciples they were the example. That you approach the kingdom of heaven like a child in humility, in complete dependence. And he says this is the only way you come to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus cared for children. He healed them. In Luke 8, he healed Jairus' daughter. In John 4, he healed the official's son. And in both instances, he shows us his care and concern for children. He gave them responsibility. What must have the boy been thinking in John chapter 6, whose sack lunch fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people? Could he not chosen any of number of ways to feed the people that day? He could have called to heaven and made it rain food, rain chicken minis. I mean, how amazing would that have been? He could have done that. He could have created Chick-fil-A chicken back then. But what does he do? Somebody, I think it was, uh, was it Andrew? I think just kind of said like, hey, well, this guy's got some food. Like, this little boy's got some food. And they kind of turns his attention elsewhere. And Jesus says, bring me the food. And he takes it and he blesses it. And I picture this small boy about Henry's age. I have no idea. The, the scriptures don't tell us, but my son's eight years old. And I, I just picture this boy bringing what he has. And Jesus takes it and multiplies it. And he gets to sit there and watch Jesus perform this miracle and feed thousands upon thousands, potentially over 10,000 people that day with a few pieces of bread and fish. What must that have done in that young boy? As he, watch, as he watches Jesus take his sack lunch, and feed thousands. It's incredible. Jesus cares for vulnerable children because he cares for all children, which is why I believe James tells us later in chapter one, who is the half-brother of Jesus, who would have known him very well. James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like he goes and sees his face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then verse 27, James tells us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's primarily the New Testament where we've been, but what about the Old Testament? Did, not, did God not care about vulnerable children before Jesus stepped into earth? Of course he did. In Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 10, 
all throughout the Psalms in Isaiah 1, and then all sorts of other passages that I just didn't track down. You're going to hear things like, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. I will surely hear their cry. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. He's father of the fatherless. We hear commands like, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. He commands the people of God to bring justice to the fatherless. Throughout the scriptures you see, God shows special concern for vulnerable or marginalized people. Now you're going you're gonna to notice that throughout the Bible, he draws special attention to the orphan. And they're often mentioned alongside widows and sojourners. He's calling us to speak up for vulnerable and marginalized people, to seek justice for them, to not only not mistreat them, which is the negative, but to care for them, the positive. So why should we care? Well, first off, because God cares. That's been the argument so far, right? That God cares for vulnerable children. We should also care because I, you, we, those of us who find ourselves in Jesus, we were spiritually fatherless. If you've been with us through John, just recently we went through John chapter 14. And what does Jesus tell his disciples? Those who have been following him for years, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He calls them orphans, his disciples, followers of Jesus. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world I will will see me no more, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Do you see yourself this way? Do you remember your helpless state before you met Jesus? I think there are a lot of reasons that we overlook caring for vulnerable children. Often we, it's hard enough to caring for our own kids, right? Children are challenging. Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you feel like this is the wrong season of life. But I wonder if this reason ought to trump most, if not all, of our fears and inadequacies. Do you really remember your helpless state before you met Jesus? Do you hear this truth this morning and Jesus' promise to his disciples? It's true for all of us this morning who find ourselves in him. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But I wonder, the farther we are removed from that first time that we met Jesus, that time we received salvation, if the farther we are removed from that, we look back and we say, well, I was just a little sick and I just needed a little medicine and I need someone to help me. Or I, I struggled with a few sins and now I don't struggle with them so much and I just needed a little bit of Jesus. Like we wouldn't say that, right? But if we, do we downplay like how helpless we really were? Maybe we think I was generally a good person, I just needed someone to guide me. But the problem with all of these reasons is really the Bible, right? Like, what does the Bible say? You were dead. We were dead. We were lifeless. No beating heart, no breath in our lungs. We were without hope. What can a dead person do? Nothing. We were dead. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work, and the sons of disobedience. You were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of my, mankind. But God, but God made you alive. 
He did that. You were dead. You could do nothing. God made you alive. He called you his friend. He made your dead bones have life again through the work of Jesus on the cross. You and I were spiritually fatherless. So Jesus went to the cross. He died the death we deserved. He rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. Now more than that, he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming back. You aren't fatherless anymore. I was talking with someone just this week, and we, and we, looked, at, we looked at this reality like a checklist. Like other religions or systems of belief are going to say that here's your checklist, and you've got to do all these things to get back to God. You have to do them. If you don't do all these checklists, you will not get back to God. But what God says in his word in the Bible is here's your checklist. You can't do any of them. And then he came and he completed the checklist. Jesus did all the things on the checklist. And then he gave you the list and says, here's your ticket to eternity. Here's your gift. It's free. That's how we have to see this. Is that how you see this? We cannot check anything off the list. God did it. But God made you alive. You and I should care about vulnerable children because we of all, of all people should know what it's like to be lost without hope and headed for destruction. But God made a way. God made a way. If, just a brief aside, if you're in here this morning and, and that's your story right now, we'd ask that you respond to Jesus in faith today. You should respond in faith to Jesus today and know that he has accomplished everything you need to get back to God. He's done it for you, and he offers you that gift today. Come talk to us or someone that brought you today. We'd love to engage you on that. Why else should we care as followers of Jesus about vulnerable children? Because they're image bearers of God, just like you and me, made in the image of God. Because we're commanded to. Hey, any fellow fellow Enneagram ones in here? Yeah? Oh, you're just not admitting it. I know there are more of you. We're rule followers, right? We want to do it. And, and sometimes it's just that simple. God tells us to do it, so we, we should do it. Why else should we care? If you won't, who will? Let's not pass this off to someone else. Consider this morning what you can do. Now, we're going to get to the needs. And right before we get to the needs, I just want to acknowledge that this is really, really hard. Y'all know Jim Gaffigan in here? Some of you guys know Jim Gaffigan. He's a popular comedian, and he, he's famous for telling fat jokes and jokes about his kids. He's got a lot of kids. I think he's got five kids now. Um, when he makes fat jokes, he's, like, making fun of himself, so I should not. Yeah, I need to stick to my notes. So um, when he had four children, he, he told this bit on stage, and he said, uh, someone asked me one time what it's like having four children. And he responded to them by saying, imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> That's what it feels like having four children. Adding foster kids to your home is going to feel like that at times. I, I know I feel like that. We have three children of our, our own, and so that story is actually true of me. We are adding a fourth child anytime we welcome a foster kid into our home. But for anyone, bringing a child into your home, it's disruption. It's change. It's not like you get pregnant and in nine months you hope to bring a child home from the hospital. No, you get a phone call and you might have a child that night. It can happen that quick. Brooke and I have been open to receive foster children for a little over a year now. And over that time we've had three placements and a few others that we've just had to say no to. And our, current, our home isn't currently open as we kind of regroup 
as a family from our, our last placement who went home end of September, I think. And in the same way, I, I view it like, like when, you, when you fly in a plane and they tell you, hey, if you're flying with children and these masks drop, you put your own mask on first and then you put your mask on for your child. And the same, I believe, is true for caring for, for children in this way, that you have got to be healthy. You've got to be spiritually healthy. You've got to be emotionally healthy. You need to be physically healthy to care for others. And we have just kind of said, like, we're, we're just going to pause for a bit to regroup. I, it's taxing. It's hard. And then we're going to jump back in. But I want to acknowledge that it, it is hard. I, I don't want to pretend like this is just easy to do. Now, why else is it hard? It's hard because their stories are hard. Out of the three children that we've welcomed into our homes, one involved a murder. Two, uh, the second one involved a death threat, a threat of murder, so the child was removed. Drug and alcohol abuse is so common. It's, it, it's almost in every story that we hear about, drugs and alcohol. With each child we receive, it's hard for me to believe that People are living this way. It feels like a bad movie that I'm watching. Like I hear these stories and it's like, this can't be real. But this is very real. It's very real for these children and these families. It's hard because caring for kids is just challenging. I just mean kids in general. You know this if you have kids. They're needy. They're demanding at times. They can be disobedient. I came up here early to work on my sermon this morning and I get home and, and one kid is, is in their room because they spanked their mother. Another kid was crying on the floor because they couldn't watch a show for 30 minutes. And the other kid was elated that they could watch a show in 30 minutes. That was what I walked into when, when I got home. Children are hard. They're hard. It's also hard because caring for someone else's kids is hard on our own kids. The more energy and time you give to spend with foster children is less you're able to give to your own. Let's just acknowledge that reality. And they, your kids are going to ask questions. It's going to be hard. It's hard because you're going to fall in love with these kids. At some point, you're going to have to say goodbye. You're opening up your heart to potentially get it ripped out. Our kids still ask about our last foster child, and they wonder what they're doing. They ask things like, are they okay? How, how are they? What's going on? What are, they, are they safe? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I hope they're safe. I hope their environment is, is good for them. I hope mom or dad is doing well. You don't know. You're not going to know. But friends, isn't this the way of Jesus? There may be reasons we decide not to pursue this at this time. Valid reasons. But let it not be because it's hard. Look to the scriptures and let's ask Jesus what was hard, right? This is the way of Jesus. Now, I want to get into the need, and we're going to get very practical on how we can respond. So what is the need right now? We're going to have stats on the screen right here. I want you to listen to these stats. Right now, in our county alone, there are 293 children in out-of-home care. 160 of those have a case plan for adoption, and 32 right now are waiting for adoption and cannot go to a home because nobody is ready to adopt them. 32 children in Cleveland County right now. 12 children right now in Cleveland County are living in a shelter and not a home. 12. There are 199 homes open 
for foster care and 293 children. That's not enough. And here's the bleak reality. Cleveland County is one of the better counties throughout our state. Look at those numbers for Oklahoma and tell me this is not heartbreaking. 6,723 children in out-of-home care. 3,201 have a case plan headed for adoption. 453 right now in the state of Oklahoma are ready to be adopted, free of charge, no cost to you. 453 have no home, ready to be adopted right now. 90 children throughout our state are currently, right now, not living in a home. They're living in a shelter. And look at this number. We have 6,723 children in foster care, and we have 3,540 homes open for adoption, or for foster care. It's not enough. The need is so great. The need is so great. And we can hear these numbers, and we can think, what can I possibly do? What can I do? Like, how am I, or how is our church going to make a dent in this? And it reminds me of the parable of, of the man who was walking along the beach, and thousands upon thousands of starfish every single year get washed up on the shore, and they can't get back. They can't swim their way back or crawl their way back. And so the parable goes that the man was walking along the, the ocean, the, the shore, and this little child picked up and was throwing starfish into the ocean. And so the man approached the child and said, what, what are you doing? You can't possibly make a difference for all these starfish. And for a moment, the child looks dejected and, and kind of looks down. And then the child picks one up and hurls it as far as it can into the ocean. And he looks to the man and says, I made a difference for that one. And he picks another one up and he does it again. And he continues on. Now, we can't do it all. You can't do it all. I can't do it all. I know. But you can do something. You can do something. So what is that? I'm going to give specific ways we can all jump in, and it, and it applies to all of us. Like, I've tried to make this so broad where, and so easy that we can all do something. Now, here in a moment, we're going to have, actually, if you want to go ahead and throw the QR code up there, the, the slide with the QR code, if you want to scan this, it's going to take you to a blog post that went up today, and everything, all these action steps that I'm about to share are in that blog post. So if you're like, hey, I, I, I want to I do something, I want to know, everything that I'm about to say is going to be right there. And at the very bottom of that, there's a form. And if nothing else, if you would say one of two things, if you would say, hey, I want to I open my home for foster care, or I have questions I just want to ask. At the very bottom, there's a form, and you can check those two things. So if nothing else, if you just want to say, hey, I've got questions, I'm interested, fill out that form. And what that will probably look like is sometime in January, we'll, we'll have a meeting of all of us people that you have interest. We'll bring in a DHS worker or a caseworker, and we'll answer all your questions. That's probably what it'll look like. We just want to see how much interest there is. But here are the ways that we can jump in. So 111 Project, that slide will come back up later. So if you missed it, don't feel bad. So 111 Project is a local nonprofit whose goal is to mobilize churches throughout the state of Oklahoma to alleviate the foster care crisis in our state. Now, they pray, break down the possible responses in one of three tiers, and I found this so helpful. This is going to be helpful for us today. So tier one is physical or investing in. So think meeting basic needs, giving to families uh, that, that need help. So this can be both preventative. So think like mom or dad is about to lose their children to the foster care system. They're about to get taken away. So preventative steps are like helping mom or helping dad before kids go into the system. That's fantastic. It can also be reunifying. 
So mom or dad is, is meeting all the things that they're, they're supposed to do to get their kids back, and they need just a few more things to push them over the edge. That's reunifying. So that's tier one. Tier two is relational or walking with. So think about walking with specific families who are hurting or alongside foster families, say within our church, that just need help and support as they care for children. And then tier three is opening up your home, either for long-term care or respite care for temporary, like a, a weekend or a week to, to bring children in or considering adoption of children who qualify. I think this is a good framework, and we're going to work from this the rest of our time this morning. So tier one, any of us can assist with tier one needs. So giving a little here or there, perhaps pooling our resources together as a gospel community to meet needs. A 111 Project partners with Care Portal. So I'm throwing a lot of organizations at you. This can feel like a lot, but if you've been around for a while, you've heard about Care Portal here at Providence Road. What is Care Portal? When a child or family has a tangible physical need, a caseworker or a child-serving organization enters that need within their system. So they go into this database, and it pushes it out to churches like Providence Road. And so they'll give an estimated cost, the purpose for the need, the level of urgency, and how to meet that. So how have we given? We've given literally thousands and thousands of dollars through Care Portal in the last three or four years to meet specific needs. And when I say like our church, I mean like through our church's budget we've done that, but also individuals and families. Some of you guys have given your own money and resources to meet many of these needs. And as you do that, you meet these families and you realize they're not just a checkbox. This isn't just a tally mark on a screen. You walk into their homes, you meet, you engage them and you see the hurt, you see the pain, but you also see the joy and gratitude that they they would see someone else stepping into their pain and helping them in these moments. It's, it's beautiful. I want to share a couple open needs with you right now. So one, right, I, or at least when I checked this earlier this week, so one is for three children in a traumatic situation because they aren't able to be with their parents. Now just, um, of course it's traumatic, <laughs> right? Three children can't be with mom and dad. The children, they made the note, have not asked for a thing, okay? Three children in the system can't be with mom and dad. They've asked for nothing. But the caseworker has observed them and has noticed that there, there are simple things that can help the children during this transitional season. So kids experiencing trauma, having a hard time, caseworker says, what can we do, like small things we can do for them that can help this feel like home. And do you know what, do you know what they asked for? Princess coloring books, origami paper, and monster trucks age-appropriate gifts that would help their well-being, gifts that your kids and mine would love to help them because they can't be with mom and dad. This is so simple. One foster family who just took in a sibling set of three children is in need of beds. Beds is perhaps the most common thing needed so children can have a place to sleep. A week and a half ago, I received an email saying, Thank you to me for meeting a need, and this was news to me. I didn't know I met a need, and so how this works is I'm just one of the administrators for Prov Road, so they're basically telling me someone in Prov Road met a need, which is fantastic, and so I, I clicked the link to learn what I did. Yeah, and they're telling me, like, what? So I go check it out. A family of six had been living in hotels. This is what it kind of said in the paragraph. They identified a place to live that had enough rooms for this family of six. Mom is working hard to keep children out of custody. She needed a deposit for rent, dressers, and basic cookware items. I had no idea what we did or who did it. 
until I checked my email this morning. And I want to read to you, this is from one of our members, how this need was met. There's a family with a single mother of five up in Oklahoma City. She's lost her kids a couple times and is struggling to keep them with her and maintain her house and various jobs. So Prov rode through two different gospel communities. So many of you are like, yeah, I'm familiar with this. You did this. Was able to pay for some of her needs in general, but also we connected with another local organization and another church, I think it was Paradigm Church, to deliver five dressers, a set of bake, just things to cook with. <laughs> she just needed to cook dinner. Two sets of cookware items and utensils. We also completed a few house projects for this family. We prayed with them for the next steps in their stabilization, and we played with their kids. They climbed all over one of our college guys as if he was a jungle gym. They also held his hand and walked around with him in their house. We bought them dinner. A little after dinner, there was an incident, this is kind of wild, where a wild dog came running in the yard and the family was scared and we were able to catch the dog and return it to the owners. We connected this family to a local church that was about a mile from their house as well. This, this is the normal story. This is how we meet needs. And this is my dream, if I'm honest. I get random emails telling me thank you for something I have no idea that happened. This is the dream. Each opportunity is different. Some you're just going to have to drop stuff off and leave. Others you get to pray with them. Others you get to do, like, you get to be a jungle gym for their kids. You get to be animal control also, I guess. And you can share your why with them. You can share the gospel with them. Can you be a liaison on, on, on behalf of our church as a whole? Can you help us add a framework for how to communicate needs to others? Can you help us think through the structure? Can you give to needs? Maybe you can say, I have money. I'm passionate about this. I can give, but I'm, I'm a little scared to go. Well, can you, can you give? Can you be Santa Claus? Or maybe we don't do Santa Claus. Can you, can you give gifts? Can you take this money that someone else says, hey, I, I'm, I have money. I can buy gifts. Can you go and deliver? We got plenty of college students in here. I know you don't, got no, you don't have any money. Why don't you take somebody else's money and go buy stuff and then deliver this? I mean, I, being honest, deliver and pray for, share the gospel with them, be a jungle gym, love on these families. We can all participate. We've got some people in our church that are very passionate about this, but we need more. That's tier one. I need to go quicker. Tier, tier two. Tier two takes more emotional energy, but it goes a long way to assist foster families who can feel like they're carrying a heavy load, especially those families within our church. We have several families in our church who are doing this right now. So to make this both tangible and personal, what if you came alongside foster families within our church? You, you made meals or you, or you gave them date nights or, or you just checked in, you just texted them. Not like just the week of placement, but three, four, five weeks in or three, four months in, like you just continue to check on them and say, hey, how's, how's it going? And, and you listened and you cared for them. You know, we just announced uh, the foster kids Christmas party that's coming up on December 10th. We're going to need probably 30 or more volunteers to pull this off. We're hoping to serve 70 kids with this event. And the purpose is twofold. One, it is to give foster families a break, to give them just a four-hour window, a break, to go do whatever they need to do. Christmas shop, take a nap, whatever. Like, go do it. We're not telling them what to do. And in that four hours, we get to love on and care for and feed, play games with all these foster children. A loving and safe environment for four hours. That's it. We need help. We need your help. 
would you serve in that college students? Like Braden mentioned, this is such a great way for you to serve. You know, it's not even in my notes here, but so many of you have involved, uh, been involved with Teen Reach Adventure Camp. Is that right? Track? Yeah, there you go. Wow. Okay, yeah, here we go. Is there like a call, like back and forth? You guys want to call each other? Uh, I didn't even know you were going to do this, but you knew Stan Sunday was coming, so a lot of you wore your, your shirts that you uh, wore from camp. You got your signatures from probably your kids, and they serve kids, uh, teenagers, right, in the foster system uh, through obstacle courses, outdoor activities, and share the gospel with them at these camps. And they do that, uh, I believe, two weeks in the summer. Is that right? Yeah. So Preston and Sarah Wood are so involved with this. We made a big push last year for you guys to serve. Some of you guys are already doing that, but we could use more. We could use more. Listen, these are, these are just a few ideas. There are so many other ideas out there for you to do this. I just want to get your minds thinking. And then tier three is that next level of commitment. So for those of us who would say, I don't have the perfect home, I'm not the perfect parents, but I have a loving home, and I'm willing to welcome kids in to my house to help them have a place, safe place to stay and potentially re- reunify them with mom or dad. So Brooke and I, again, I've mentioned that we do this, and I just need to say very clearly that we are not some subset of special Christian here. Like, we are not, like, better than all of you guys. I feel in some ways like the the missionary who travels overseas and like tells us about the need to share the gospel and plant churches overseas, and they tell us over and over, don't they? Like, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I'm not special. They just see a need, they have a call on their life, and they, and they go. And that's, that's all we are. We are not there. You don't have to be super Christian to do this. You have to read your Bible, you have to see the need, and you have to be willing to say, I want to meet that need. That's it. That's it. I didn't hear like this audible call from God. There was no burning bush not being consumed. I didn't hear sign up for foster care. You know, there, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. My wife pulled on my leg a little bit. She's more passionate about it than I am. I saw the need. And we said yes. That's it. It can be scary. I'm sure you have a lot of questions but I would encourage you to seek someone out. Let's talk. Uh, Just a few specifics on this. We'll we'll land this plane pretty soon here. Uh, We go through Angels Foster Care Network or Foster Family Network. So going through an organization like this as a nonprofit, it's double the process. Like the, the length of time is twice as much. So you have twice the home visits, twice the paperwork, twice the background checks, You have DHS approving you, and then you have this organization approving you. But they give you, on the back end, additional support and care. So at our our last placement, that night they dropped off a food tray and a gift card for immediate needs. We didn't know they were doing it, but it was awesome. Because when they bring you a child, you're like, oh, man, what do I do? Like every time, you're like, like, it's like you forget, like, what's going on here? Like another child, like you just, it's what it feels like. And then when somebody brings you food, you're like, all right, I got this. Yeah, here we go. Until the next day, right? They provide you with a caseworker that's in your corner. They answer your questions. It's super helpful. Now, there are other people, like the Bumgarners, they've gone just through DHS in our church. Maybe you don't need that extra layer of support. You don't have to. I believe the typical process takes about three months through DHS to get approved. I heard of a family this past week, uh, one of our neighbors. They got approved approved in one month. Now, That's not because they overlooked anything in the process. It was because DHS has such a need right now that they did whatever it took to get this family approved, you know, with 
following all their protocols to get them in and get them children as soon as possible because the need is so great. Now, again, in this blog post you're going to see, if you, if you have questions about the guidelines, about what it's like to foster the guidelines in Oklahoma to foster or adopt, they're all going to be there. All of these resources are in that blog post. You can find out anything uh, you would like to find out. And I would also say, man, just come find, come, if you want to talk to me or my wife or the Hagers or anyone else, the Bumgarners that are participating in this, come find us. We can answer your questions today. Now, a little less than a month ago, I don't know if you, this is going to be kind of an abrupt shift here. There were some wrestlers from Northwest College. I know, did you say wrestlers and it's abrupt, right? In Northwest College in Wyoming, they were attacked by a grizzly bear. The young men were shed hunting in the Shoshone National Forest, which just means they were looking for antlers that had fallen off of elk and deer. So Brad Lowry, he was attacked first. The bear came running out of the trees, and he didn't know there was a bear even there until it was right in front of him. Think about how terrifying that was. He did whatever was instinctual at the time. He started screaming at it, and he just covers his head. That's all he knew how to do. That's when his teammate, Kendall Cummings, tried to stop the attack on Lowry by yelling, kicking, and hitting the bear. He jumped on it and started pulling its fur. He said later, I didn't want to lose my friend. I could either run and potentially have a lost, and, and he, so that tells you he thought about it. Like in that moment, he said, I can, le- I can save myself and lose my friend, or I can do what it takes to save my friend. So in his attempt to help his friend survive the attack, he ended up drawing a more brutal attack on himself. The pictures of this guy are, are just awful. You can, I don't encourage you to Google it, actually. The bear turned its fury onto Cummings, and so it knocked him down. It pinned him against a tree and mauled him. And then for a second, the bear stepped away, and he thought, finally, that's over. And the bear came back and did it again. Lowry, the first guy, got away and called 911, and someone else, one of the other wrestlers, came and started yelling at the bear to scare it away. And miraculously, they were all saved. Miraculously. Now, if Cummings had not entered the fight, Lowry would not have lived. There's no chance. Lowry was done. In risking his life for his friend, he suffered greater harm on himself. But he considered it worth it in order to help his friend. He knew if he didn't, no one else would. Now, I assure you, there are families and children right now in Cleveland County that life is mauling them, and they feel like they're being attacked right now. Right now. They're desperate, and they need someone who's willing to say, I may suffer harm by entering into this fight with you, but I consider you worth it. I consider your life worth it. I consider your family worth it. I'm going to do what it takes, and I'm going to enter this fight with you. And friends, if we as the body of Christ are unwilling to do that, then who is? Who is? I don't know how the Spirit is working in you right now. I'm only asking, like, here's my, my one request that you just be open-handed this morning. That you go to God and you, you're willing to pray and you say, God, what would you have me do? And you would genuinely be open to whatever that is. And you would just open-handedly come before God. It may feel overwhelming at times. What can our church possibly do to eradicate the foster care crisis in our state? But like the child that bent down and threw the starfish back, like what if we just said, I'll, I'll, I'll take one. I'll do one. And then you be willing to do another. Again, I'm not, I'm not asking you to come forward right now and sign up for the, 
foster care process, unless you've been thinking about that already and, and this just need to push you over the edge, then all right, you can come over to my house today. We'll sign you up today. That'd be great. I'm just asking for you to ask God what he would have you do and just do so open-handedly. I trust that God will do the rest. Now, I, I want to acknowledge just for a brief moment that you may be feeling right now that you are being attacked in life, that you are feeling mauled. And, and I know some of you, that that's real for you right now. So again, as I said at the beginning, I want you to feel no guilt this morning if you have to walk out those doors and you can't participate. You need to be loved on and cared for by the church body. So many of you, like, you, you've been open about that and you're walking with people and that's great. For others of you, if that's true of you, would you tell someone and be cared for by a church and be okay with that? Don't leave feeling guilt because you can't step into this fight this morning. But my hope is that when all is said and done, that we could say, we could stand before God just like the righteous man in Matthew 25, and we could say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will look at us, he will look at you, and he will say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. In the video we watched at the very beginning, one of the pastors in that video, he posed the question, he said, what if there were more families waiting for children than children waiting for families? My question to us is, what if you and I decided that we would be a part of making that a reality right here in Cleveland County? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for what you've done for us in Jesus. We're so thankful that the scriptures called us dead before we knew you, and you made us alive in Jesus. You gave us breath. You made our hearts to beat again. You made our dead bones come to life. That's true of us. I pray for those of us in the room who are specifically followers of Jesus, that you would cause us to action this stand Sunday. You would give us a, a burden for vulnerable children and families throughout our county and throughout our state. And you would cause us to leave this morning saying, all right, I want to do something. God, what, what would you have me do? And we would respond in faith. So help us, help us to be brave, help us to have courage, help us to walk in that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.